Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Thank you for being a friend. Yeah, I'm tone deaf. Anyway, moving on. It would have been fine. You didn't have to be self-deprecating. No, no, I do. It's part of the package. Oh, you do have to be. Yep. It's it's one of your innate qualities. Yep. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Nice Girls Don't Have Fangs by Molly Harper. After having one of those days, Jane is mistaken for a deer, shot, and then gets better when Gabriel transforms her into a vampire. While trying to navigate the world as an undead person, she's also trying to figure out what she and her sire are to one another. It's complicated. There will be spoilers beyond this point. Well, Erica, how is Jane's day going? (laughs) Oh, the one where she gets shot? Yep. Uh, That day. (laughs) How's her that day going? Jane is a librarian who works at her hometown library in Half Moon Hollow, Kentucky. She actually went away to go to school and then came back to work at this library. She is the, I think, the juvenile services director or something like that. But it doesn't really matter because right at the beginning of the story, she gets fired by her (laughs) crappy boss, Mrs. Stubblefield, which is just the best name ever. It's very Dickensian. You know, it's one of those names you're like, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Stubblefield's defining physical characteristic are her mothy eyebrows, which I just thought was the best description <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, ew. <laughs> it is very visual. Supposedly, the library's funding is too low to continue paying for Jane's salary. And so she's being let go and sort of replaced by Mrs. Stubblefield's niece, I think. Nepotism. Not really replaced because the niece doesn't have like the library degree or the experience and she's not doing the same job or anything, but. It's fine. It's the case of one of those stories. And instead of getting severance pay, (laughs) I mean, this is the US. It's dystopian. Who gets severance pay? (laughs) She gets a gift certificate for Shenanigans, which is a restaurant with a bar or something. I love that name. Is that a real place? I've never been there. I don't know if it is, but I want it to be. I don't know if I necessarily want it to be that bar, but I want there to be a bar named Shenanigans where whimsical shenanigany... Oh, that's terrible. Shenanigans things happen. Why can't you just say shenanigans happen? <laughs> I can't. My brain says no. <laughs> you had to turn it into an adjective. Yep. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the self-deprecation. It's just part of the package. That's quite the package. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jane takes her gift certificate and heads on over to drown her sorrows. And she just stays there. Pretty much the rest of the day, well into the night, getting drunk. The man that she has had a crush on since they were children is in this bar. She can't even bear to talk to him. She's just well on her way to a place of self-loathing. Well, sometimes you need to take that road. (laughs) It'll be growth. 
The good kind of growth. As she's sitting there, morosely drinking herself into a stupor, this complete stranger shows up on the bar stool next to her and introduces himself. And it's really bizarre because she lives in a town where she basically knows everyone. So the fact that she doesn't know this person is weird. He's cute and he's nice and he's funny and he likes that she's (laughs) self-deprecating and (laughs) angry and has a lot of things to say, but she's rather eloquent about how she says those things. Being a librarian, she loves to sprinkle in her little trivias and literary sense of humor and such, which I appreciated. He says to her that he would very much like to keep her company until she's able to drive home. (laughs) There's like a part of her in the back of her head that's like, oh my god, this guy is creepy, 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 get away, get away, get away. But the rest of her is like, oh yeah, hot, friendly, nice, I like him, he's cool. She just stays and chats with him until she sobers up to a certain point and then she gets in her car and she goes to drive home. But her car breaks down and as she gets out of the car... Because she has to walk because she's too drunk. Well, I don't know if she's drunk. She's worried she's too drunk to call the police. Yeah, I know that place. (laughs) I don't know if if she is or not. It's one of those, why risk it? Like, especially if you're close. (laughs) I mean, the way her day is going, you know, like, why? Seriously, right? (laughs) Why blow a raspberry at fate? Yeah, why tempt fate? Yeah. So as she's getting ready to walk home, she hears a gunshot, and then she feels a gunshot, and she falls into a ditch. (laughs) That would be my reaction. (laughs) And as she's bleeding to death, she's just basically like, fuck my life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This fucking sucks. I got mistaken for a deer. Does she know that she was mistaken for a deer at that point? Or does that come later? I think she recognized his truck. The guy's truck. Yeah, because she's not the only drunk or intoxicated person. Yeah, there's this guy. I can't remember his name. Bud, I think. Doofus. But he likes to drink and drive around in his truck and go deer hunting while he's drunk. So I think she did know, kind of. Okay. Three days pass. She doesn't know three days have passed yet, but she wakes up in a stranger's bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a good way to wake up. (laughs) She said sarcastically, in case I wasn't clear. (laughs) Yeah. I sound sarcastic when I don't mean to, and sometimes I don't sound sarcastic when I do. Uh. She's trying to figure out what happened. Like, did I get laid? Because that's really crappy that I don't remember anything about that. She's had a three-year dry spell, I believe. So Yeah, there could be problems with that. But yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of problems with getting laid while blackout drunk. (laughs) Not remembering it is probably like one of the least (laughs) of the problems. Oh, random thing. There is nail polish you can use. Stick your finger in the drink and it will test for date rape drugs. Oh, I've seen that. Yes. Good public service announcement. <laughs> My brain likes to random, okay? No, it's it's related. It's not random. Okay. Yay. I was related. Swear <laughs> <laughs> okay. to God, I'm not drunk. I told you you had to be on today, and boy are you. <laughs> Is, am I on? Is this thing on? Am I on? Who knows? You're not off. <laughs> Not yet. That comes later. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so she wakes up. She's having a little private freak out because, hey, she's wearing pajamas that don't belong to her. And she's in a house that she doesn't recognize. You know, all things that would freak out your average 27-year-old person or person in general. Yeah. (laughs) And then Gabriel shows up and he's all, oh, good, you're awake. (laughs) And she's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Creepy, 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 creepy. Like, she is not not feeling this vibe that Gabriel is apparently feeling. It's odd. Like, the author... I get the impression in this book that the author wants her to have, like, this chemistry toward Gabriel. Like, Jane talks about feeling chemistry toward Gabriel. But as a reader, I don't feel the chemistry. Oh, good. Not just me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it is. A lot of times it is. I got the impression, like the distinct impression that we were being told, yeah, she has the hots for him. But I was like, really, though? Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> now, while they have some good banter and stuff, Ooh, yes. they have they have much more like friend chemistry, I would say, than romantic chemistry. It felt like to me. Yeah, she has really good friend chemistry with her actual friend, too. That was the similar vibe I got. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but at any rate, Gabriel's like hugging her or holding her or I don't even know, preventing her from leaving. Hello, friend. And he tells her, (gasps) remember. (laughs) And then she remembers what happened after she, quote, died. Gabriel had been following behind her on her ride home because he was worried about her. He wanted to make sure she got home safe, supposedly. Yeah. To be fair, (laughs) when you're like a 300 something year old vampire your sense of normalcy is probably a lot different yeah you know one would think so i'm trying really hard not to judge him i know it's one of those like possibly forgive creepy because of romance you know what i mean no possibly forgive creepy because of complete foreignness okay like different cultural norm Yeah. Yeah, because 300 years ago, it'd be like, you need an escort, madam. Yeah, well, not only that, but I mean, the life he's lived since, or the unlife he's lived since, he hasn't necessarily been interacting with people in the way that humans do ever since he died. Yeah, that's always a weird thing with vampires. Do they get with the times or not? (laughs) So many of them seem to be stuck in yesteryear. There's one point where he tells her she should appreciate that he's as evolved as he is, implying that he's trying to get with the times, but it's difficult. So what do you want, a bloody cookie? (laughs) I think he does. He does want a bloody cookie. (laughs) Okay, so he says, remember. (laughs) Remember, Winnie, remember. He's following her to make sure she gets home safe. She gets shot. He comes to her. And he lifts her up and he asks her if she wants to die. And she says, uh, because she looks like she's dying. But presumably it was a no. She didn't want to die. He drinks her blood and then gives her his blood to make her into a vampire. And then she fell into, I don't know what you want to call it, a sleep for three days. Because that's how it happens in this universe. And he took her to his house to keep her safe. Yay. Yay? Yay. And she is really grossed out by these rememberings. <laughs> by these memories. Not a good sign. Like, ew, I drank your blood? <laughs> ew. 
And she's also kind of like, I don't feel like you gave me a choice. And he's all, no, I gave you a choice. She's like, okay, well, thanks, but I'm I'm out. Bye. And he's like, no, no, you can't leave yet because you're newly turned. You haven't eaten for three days. You have to feed. <laughs> and she's like, um, no, no, thanks. And he's like offering her his his blood. You know, this is some sacred ritual or something that he wants to have with her, which you later find out isn't really. It's just like him. He just wants to feed her <laughs> his blood. It's his kink. He's into it. <laughs> and she's almost going for it, you know? He's hot. He's enticing. She is hungry for blood. And then her brain is like, maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe this is all some crazy dream and I need to escape. And so she runs away. <laughs> what did you think about that? No, no. I'm just crazy. <laughs> or I'm just dreaming. I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, me it, too. Honestly. She's not immediately falling into the vampire lifestyle or whatever. She's like, uh, no, no, no. This isn't, no. Yeah, she, she <laughs> doesn't immediately accept the quote unquote impossible as reality or thought to be yeah, impossible. Well, it's not impossible. Or thought to be impossible? No, it's not impossible. No, no. Because vampires have been out in the world since the year 2000. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, there was the great unveiling of vampires. So de-shrouding yeah which is actually really funny that's like yeah the de-shrouding <laughs> that's actually like a funny little side note there's this little portion in the story where the author goes into the history of why vampires are quote out now and it turned out to be a lawsuit <laughs> that seems about right a newly turned vampire was mad <laughs> <laughs> that they wouldn't recognize his sun sensitivity <laughs> <laughs> so she runs all the way home makes it to her house her friend zeb is there this is her bff from childhood i guess i don't know they've been friends platonic friends for forever and zeb has been freaking out because she's been missing for three days and the reason he knows that she's been missing is that her mom has been freaking out <laughs> that she's been missing for three days and has called him he's been taking care of her dog and worrying about her. He's very relieved that she's back home and she's presumably safe, but she acts really weird around him. She's kind of, I mean, she's hungry. <laughs> They're sitting on the couch. She starts looking at the veins in his she neck. She has the need, the need to feed. <laughs> she licks his neck and he was like, um, no, no, we're, we're platonic friends, remember? <laughs> i am not assault look she gets ready to attack him when gabriel shows up and commands zeb to sleep which works and then he tells her what's what he's like yeah no please don't kill your bff because you don't know how much you are able to drink from somebody without killing them that would be bad it is my job as your sire to guide you through your first days as a vampire. At least he's taking his job seriously, right? Jane even comments on this in the book, but it's like he waffles between would-be boyfriend and dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird and awkward for her. Not just her. Yeah. <laughs> There's one point where she tells him that, like, uh, no, please don't cross that line. <laughs> She does end up drinking from Gabriel and it ends up being good and she enjoys it. She feels comforted and apparently, as he tells her, feeding can be whatever you need. 
It can be comforting or violent or sexual or whatever. You know, it's the mood and the motive of the vampire feeding. They talked a little bit about why he turned her. It's because she, she seemed innocent and he just couldn't let her die in such a pointless way. Pointless, but funny? <laughs> well, funny for the reader, yeah. <laughs> he says he's going to take Zeb home and she's like worried about that. But he's like, no, I'll wipe his memory a little bit. Don't worry about it. It's okay. They also talk about how vampires seem to develop different abilities over time. So some of them, they're able to do different tricks depending on what they develop, I suppose. I liked that idea. Did you? Well, I liked that there was diversity. Yeah. I, I appreciated that because they're all, they're all kind of on like a level playing field as far as the strength and the speed and everything go. But for special extra tricks like mind reading or memory wiping... It's kind of nice that not every vampire can do that. I think it's tricky to have characters or a type of character that has all this extra. And then how do you rein that in? Honestly, it gets a little boring too. I don't care about Superman because he's he has no problems. Yeah. You can do all the things and nothing hurts you. Why do I care about you? Yeah. <laughs> So the fact that they can't necessarily do all the things and maybe some of them are able to do more or better than others, it makes it more interesting. Yeah, I think so. We learn a little bit about Jane's history. She inherited her house from her great aunt, Jetty. <laughs> her mom, sister, and grandmother are all really butthurt about it. I loved Aunt Jetty. Aunt Jetty apparently never left. <laughs> Jane can now see her ghost. <laughs> the reason she can see her ghost is a combination of her vampire powers and the fact that Aunt Jetty wants her to be able to see her. I don't know. The presence of ghosts in this universe is kind of interesting, too, because she does have some corporeal abilities. She's able to move things. I loved how sassy Aunt Jetty was. She stays up all night as the sun nears the horizon. She passes the <laughs> fuck out, but not for very long. Because her mom calls her around 7 in the morning. Rude. Dude, her mom is so toxic. Yeah. And the way it's written, it really plays it off like, oh, this is just her southern manipulativeness. But no, this is toxicity. That's what this is. <laughs> the mom wants to control Jane's life. Yeah, sometimes it can be difficult to adjust to a different cultural norm. You know what I mean? Like... It's toxic in one culture isn't necessarily toxic in another, but yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't make me feel good. Yeah, well, what's toxic in one culture isn't necessarily toxic in another, but I kind of feel that turning everything into something about you and guilting people about how they've made you feel is toxic. Yeah. And I feel like that is likely universally toxic. And if it's not, it should be. Maybe. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> That's narcissism, right? Yeah, there's a definitely, I don't know if self-centered is the right way to put it, but self-involved. Yeah, it's all about her. And Jane is like her little puppet. She's playing dolls with her child. Yeah. That's kind of how it felt to me. Yeah. It builds over the course of the story. Like at the beginning, you're just like, oh, okay, she's just kind of overprotective and a little smothery. But as the story goes, it doesn't feel that way, like at the end to me. No, it gets progressively worse as the story continues. Or more visible. Yeah. 
that's a better way to put it. And she's not the only one. Like the grandmother is super toxic. Like apparently the grandmother has like checked herself into the hospital because she didn't get her way before. You know, why would you do that to me? You know, I don't have that much time left on this earth. Well, that seems a little, I don't know if childish, manipulative. Narcissistic. And then the sister too. <laughs> yes. The sister, man. Yeah, some sibling relationships are just really hard to understand relate to but at least her dad is cool although he is one of those quiet dads like i wish he'd stand up for her more well different family dynamic so anyway the mom calls starts berating her is trying to mother her like let me come over and feed you let me make sure you're alive and okay and jane convinces her to come over after dinner and to bring dad she has this whole plan like oh yeah i'm gonna tell them (laughs) I'm going to tell them. Yeah, sure. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Best laid plans. That evening when the sun set, she bolts awake. That's kind of nice that vampires have no problem waking up. I wish I had that Some people do. Some people can do that. They're just like, and now I'm awake. I wish. I am not that person, but some people are. (laughs) I'm very much not that person. I'm like, give me an hour and I'll wake up. So it's a little earlier than she had told her mom to come over and the doorbell rings and she's like, oh no, it's it's my mom. She's early. But it actually turns out to be Missy of the newly undead welcoming committee. Well, hello there, Missy. So apparently (laughs) they have a welcoming committee (laughs) where they (laughs) give out like big gift baskets with, you know, special vampire rated sunscreen and fake blood and... There's a guidebook, like a handbook for newly created vampires. (laughs) Well, that's helpful. They have a little chat. Missy reeks of oppressive (laughs) hospitality. Almost combative congeniality. Try to get her involved. Yeah. In the undead community. Oh, we have mixers. We have this. We have that. Socialize. She's aggressively friendly. (laughs) That being a vampire, I could just not vampire, but apparently not an option. Would that be the same or you didn't want a people as a vampire? Would you not want a vampire or would you not want a vamp? I don't know. I think I'm thinking about this too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Missy leaves after her aggressive friendliness. <laughs> I cannot, my words are hard words today. Words are hard. Some days are harder than others. Jane's parents come over and even though she told her mom, don't bring any food, her mom brought her chicken pot pie, which is like Jane's favorite. Dude, have you ever done like a chicken pot pie from scratch? It's so good. It sounded good until Jane <laughs> described eating it as a vampire. Well, yeah, not, <laughs> not like that. But yes, her mom does that whole thing like, oh, my God, you got fired. Whatever are we going to do? I need to fix all your problems. This is horrible. You should move in with us. We will take care of you. And I don't even. I wonder if it's because she wants to take care of her. Is it just because they want the house? Is she angling or actually concerned? I don't trust her. I have mixed emotions about (laughs) the mom. I think... She might actually love Jane in her own way and does have some level of concern for her. But it's more like, but if my daughter does poorly, that makes me a bad mom. Yeah. I kind of get that sort of vibe from her, which isn't healthy when your daughter's pushing 30. I mean, it's not healthy at all, really. But especially when your children are grown, they're responsible for their own stuff. Yeah. 
in theory, that is part of adulthood, is they become, you know, responsible for their own shit. They spread their wings and fly. Jane finally manages to get her parents to leave. Her dad is, I think, just kind of quiet this whole time. The author, I think, did a really good job of showing the relationship between Jane and her dad, because even though the dad doesn't always speak up or is quiet a lot, you get the impression that they're close and he's kind of like her preferred parent and they have a special bond. I felt that she was very close to her, her father, which was good. And there was a level of, oh, you know, your mother type of thing. Yeah. I think there's one point where he says to Jane, don't make me choose between you, which I think is fair. I mean, if he wants to stay married to the mom, he can't really choose between them. Yeah, and it's it, it's not good to put people in those positions, if at all possible. And at this point, it is Jane's responsibility to set boundaries and stuff. I guess my I, I do feel a little conflicted about the dad, though, because I do feel like they're really close and all this, and I feel like he's a good guy, but I wanted, like... Of course, this would change the story completely, I suppose, but he should have stuck up for her more Mm. as a kid against her mom because the level of boundaries that Jane has or doesn't have (laughs) with her mom is just extremely low. Yeah. I feel like maybe dad should have stepped up a little bit more during Jane's formative years, but maybe he did in his own way. I don't know. It's hard because... We get a sense of her childhood, but we don't, there's no flashbacks or anything. And it's not uncommon in households for parents to be given certain roles. One's a disciplinarian, one's the fun parent, or this parent will deal with the children, (laughs) manage the children, oversee the children, all of that. Yeah, the primary caregiver or whatever. While the other parent either isn't or takes a back seat or has a different focus. I don't know. That doesn't mean he couldn't have stepped up, though. True. We don't know much about his history either. All right, moving on. Jane gets her parents to leave. She goes to see Zeb, her friend, to see how he's doing after she almost <laughs> ate him and then he got his memory wiped. Sorry, I almost made you dinner. Literally. <laughs> He greets her at the door with tons of crosses around his neck and he's wielding a kitchen knife or something like that. And he's like, back, back, foul creature, (laughs) you know, trying to thwart her with religious paraphernalia, which doesn't seem to affect Jane. And I think there's a point where she does talk about like the handbook says something that it depends on what the vampire believed in before they were turned that affects the level that they can be affected by religious iconography. It's an interesting way to have it happen. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. But while she's kind of freaking out over everything, he stabs her in the stomach with the kitchen knife. And this was really gross. Like, she's, like, wiggling the blade out (laughs) of her stomach. To her, it, like, itches and is kind of annoying. (laughs) I loved it. I love that whole scene. And she even says, you should have aimed for the heart, stupid, or something <laughs> like that. And don't they, like, then have to test stuff? I love that. Oh, my gosh. I was dying. Yeah. So after Zeb calms down a little bit, he's, like, intrigued and grossed out by Jane's lack of dying. Then they start testing, like, the things that can kill Jane or can't, <laughs> as the case may be. They try to electrocute her in the bathtub and she jumps off the roof and like her 
her back is broken and she's like talking to him and her back's like knitting itself back together. Oh, that's amazing. It is so gross yet hilarious at the same time. I think time. I'm wired wrong. I was just laughing the whole time. No, I really enjoyed it. It was great. It was gross though. I don't know. The gross didn't really affect me. <laughs> I mean, it was told in a humorous way. Kind of like mm, death becomes yeah. her. If you think about it, it's really hideously gross what happens in that movie, but it's funny, so it's not gross. No, I see your point. Yeah, that's probably why. I just wasn't (laughs) thinking about the gross part. I was just like, oh my god, they're idiots. I love them. (laughs) I kind of wondered at the whole what can kill Jane experiment. Like, what happens if it turns out that that does kill Jane? (laughs) Oops. Sorry, Gabriel. Their friendship seems to be doing okay, but it is kind of on unsteady legs because Zeb isn't really sure how he feels about having almost been eaten. (laughs) By a friend. I don't really blame him. You know, you have a friend who is now a predator who preys on human beings. It's probably a little creepy. It takes some time to get used to. A little scary. (laughs) Oh, and then there's the Walmart trip. So Jane goes (laughs) to Walmart. (laughs) she does to the special dietary needs <laughs> section which has like all the vampire paraphernalia it's basically it. like her admitting to herself and the world because it's a small town hey i'm a vampire so it's not just shopping to shop it's it's admission yeah she's really yeah. worried about it like she doesn't want anyone to see her she's not out to her parents the only person who knows at this point is zeb they do say in the story that there's bigotry where vampires are concerned so she doesn't want that yeah directed at her and her loved ones and especially apparently in the south there's more it's more likely okay if a vampire accidentally gets burned to death or something like that. It's always an accident. If a human kills a vampire, it's always Mm self-defense. So yeah, which I do like that that got touched on in the story. And this is a series. So it would be interesting to see how that thread kind of carries through. Yeah, I forget. It's a pretty long series, isn't it? Seven or eight books or something like that. So she gets back from the grocery store and there's a really beautiful girl sitting on her front porch swing. Hello. (laughs) She's just like, um, who are you and why are you here? She can smell that this person is human and she gets up from the swing and introduces herself as Andrea. And she says, Gabriel sent me to help you through your first live feeding. I'm a blood surrogate or something. I don't know. It's a weird term, I thought. But essentially, she's a person who gets paid to let vampires drink her blood. Yay, she's getting paid. And I guess she has a really rare blood type, so she can charge more. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Jane is like, really? She doesn't want to. She does she does not want to drink from a live person. Like she's just I don't think she has the option of drinking from a dead person. No, but she can drink synthetic blood. She could drink from animals. She could drink from an undead person. That is true. She has options. Yeah, Gabriel arranged this, right? Yeah. Now, initially, I thought this was going to be like a setup, like Andrea was going to be a plant by some shady person, but it turns out she's on the up and up. Which I guess is good if it is a little creepy that Gabriel's like, yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> send the vampire equivalent of pizza delivery to your house. Here you go. <laughs> doesn't ask her anything. Doesn't explain that that's what's going on or anything. 
I just go with the blood flow. <laughs> Andrea happens to get Jane comfortable enough to actually drink from her. And she does like it once it happens, but then she feels like bad for liking it. And then she makes some joke that makes Andrea feel cheap or whorish or something. And then instantly feels bad about it, but it's too late because Andrea left. Oops. She goes to visit Gabriel. She goes to knock on the door and then starts thinking, eh, maybe I shouldn't do this. But Gabriel noticed she was there and opened the door. So they have a whole other talk. Apparently he got her car completely fixed as a gesture of romance, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> Like, that's kind of what he says. Like, he says, I thought you would appreciate the restoration of your vehicular independence far more than posies and poetry. She likes it. But again, it's like, dude, you didn't need, like, why? Stop doing stuff for me without being yeah. asked. He definitely has a bad case of hero, man, I think. He just inserts himself. I'm going to get your car fixed. I'm going to send you dinner. He definitely kind of takes it upon himself. <laughs> They don't really have any kind of an established thing. So it's weird that for him to overstep like that. Although maybe for some it's not overstepping. I think he feels proprietary because he's her sire. Yeah. No, I think you're right. He tells her later on that even at the bar, like she was intriguing to him. That's why he was following her to make sure she was safe. I think he was interested in pursuing something with her anyways. And then saw that he could save her from death. And took that chance because she didn't technically say no. And <laughs> here we are. And I think that a lot of this wouldn't feel as weird to me if I felt there was one inkling of chemistry between them. Yeah, I think it's partly chemistry and establishing boundaries too. Yeah, like they're kissing and stuff. And I'm just like, but why though? <laughs> I don't feel it. <laughs> yeah. You're right. There is the whole boundary thing. The, the boundary stompy stomp which frequently happens. But I think a big part of it for me is the lack of chemistry. I think that if there was intense chemistry with the boundary stompy stomp, it would still be less awkward for me. I think you're right. Because then you would feel, you'd feel the feels. Yeah. You would feel like there's a reason for him to step in and want to take care of her and all these things. Whereas right now, I don't really know. Like, I don't understand why it's, does he feel like Yeah, that. it feels more like it's a responsibility thing. Yeah, he's being daddy, yeah. which is just ew. I was trying not to say it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went there. I kept going, yeah, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Now I feel unclean. <laughs> okay, so their relationship kind of turns into a kissing relationship at this point. You know, they're kissing... It's hot, but it's also uncomfortable, apparently. I'm telling you what Jane tells us. I don't feel it, but that's what Jane says. Then she goes home and she stalks him online. <laughs> One of the ways she's easily able to find out a lot about him is because he's a pretty important historical figure in the town. Like there's actually lore around his disappearance. And her father, who is a history teacher, actually wrote a book about town history and included this huh. lore in it, which I thought was just great. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> she tries to fill her days or nights with stuff. What do I do now that I'm an unemployed vampire? Hmm. And she decides she wants to go check out the local nightlife. And she calls Andrea and convinces her to accompany her to a vampire bar. This part made me really appreciate Andrea because Andrea is totally snarky with her. Jane is 
dressed for the bar. She's wearing like pretty casual clothes or whatever. She's like, are you (laughs) sure I look okay? Are you sure this is going to be okay? And Andrea says, these are your people, Jane, more than I am. Jane says, is there a secret handshake? And she (laughs) says, I stay two paces behind you because I am but a lowly human. You walk into the room as if you know that you belong, that you're one of them. Make eye contact with as many as possible. Keep your body language aggressive and rigid. You're an aloof, indomitable warrior queen who could fend off attacks from anyone in the room. But then they open the door and it's just like a (laughs) lame sports bar. (laughs) And then she says to Andrea, you suck. And she goes, no, technically you do. I really liked that. I thought that was great. Because it was getting me hyped up. I'm like, oh, God, it's one of these. This is one of those things that it's a vampire story trope, right? Like the super hip club where all the gothy people and they're all cool and badass and whatever. And I was like, eh, like mentally rolling my eyes. And then it turns (laughs) out it's just lame. And I'm like, oh, that's so good. I love that. (laughs) Jane has decided she wants to be friends with Andrea. They have a nice time at the bar. As they get ready to leave, they get in the car and then Jane realizes, oops, I left my purse at the bar. So she goes back to find a vampire holding the bartender upside down and shaking him. The bartender's human. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? Leave him alone. And this causes the vampire to attack her. They go out on the parking lot. They're fighting. One of the other vampires that have been drinking at the bar comes out to just kind of watch. <laughs> like it's fun. Like, oh, hey, that's interesting. <laughs> she kicks the the fighting vampire in the balls, which apparently still works on vampires. So while he's recovering, the other vampire introduces himself as <laughs> Richard Cheney. Apparently he's Dick Cheney, but he was Dick Cheney before Dick Cheney was Dick Cheney. How how weird would that be to have like a famous person's name? Or you know, like it's your name, but it's their name too, and you're both but yeah. Especially if you existed yeah. before they did. Dick helps her out, gets the other vampire to leave her alone. The other vampire's name is Walter. And that was another funny slash gross scene. Like he breaks Walter's arm and then watches it knit back together yeah. and then breaks it again. As he's talking to him about, hey, leave everyone alone. Go home, you loser. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but it is morbid to have that. The violence without the consequences. Are there consequences? It's like if it repairs and it's fine, then it's like the violence doesn't matter. Well, apparently there's pain involved because Walter does seem to be in pain. But as we have the evidence from Jane getting stabbed not being as painful as I imagine getting stabbed would actually be, presumably it's not the same level of pain as a human would feel. No, I don't know. Which doesn't make it better. Yeah. I appreciated it to an extent because I like the dehumanization Mm. of vampires. I prefer that they're kind of creepy and evil. I definitely like them to be other I don't know if I necessarily always need them creepy, but yeah. This aspect of the story kind of pushed them in that direction. That's not something normal humans do. (laughs) But apparently it's fine for the average vampire to do. Yeah, because, I mean, we have consequences. If an arm is broken, it doesn't repair like that. Theoretically, that should be a deterrent, depending on if, if a person wants to inflict pain, I guess. All right, so she goes home. Andrea is passed out drunk in the car. 
So Andrea, we have no idea what she remembers, if anything. She still left her purse at the bar because after this, she didn't manage to go back and get it. I think it's the next night when she wakes up, Dick comes over and just kind of makes himself at home and kind of sort of not really comes on to her, but more in like a, hey, I come on to all women type of way. Charming. (laughs) It's not you, it's me. (laughs) She likes him. He's... I guess he's like your friendly neighborhood (laughs) misogynist. I don't know. Mm. They're sitting on the porch swing. Dick has got her legs up on his lap because, of course, he does. And she's just letting him kind of flirt with her. But she's just talking to him. And then Gabriel shows up with her purse. And he sees this. (laughs) And he does not like this. This is his Jane. And Dick makes some joke. Like, Gabriel's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're writing a Dick and Jane book. See, Dick? See Dick run. See Jane bite. (laughs) And apparently news gets around fast because Gabriel's like, did you get in a fight with a vampire named Walter? And Jane's like, yeah, he's an asshole. He's like, well, he's dead now. And then Dick says, yeah, he's dead. You're dead. I'm dead. We're all dead. I thought you knew this stuff. Gabriel's like, yeah, no, no, you're under suspicion for killing him. I have to take you to the local council because they want to talk to you about this. Again, I appreciate how the author subverts my expectations a little bit because, again, I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) goddammit, vampire council. Are you fucking kidding me? You know where the vampire council is? It's in a Cracker Barrel. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like this group of vampires is sitting in a, you know, one of those booths or whatever, (laughs) surrounded by average people. Munching away at Cracker Barrel. We meet a couple of the council members. I think the one that's most important to remember is Ophelia, who I think is the the leader of this particular council or something. Sophie is also important because after Sophie introduces herself, she grabs hold of Jane's wrist and reads her mind aggressively. And apparently it's really painful and uncomfortable for Jane. But that's how they can tell that she's telling the truth about her side of the story. They're like, okay, well, as far as we can tell, you're telling the truth. So we're going to let you go. But we're watching you. Oh, goody. (laughs) Keep your nose clean. Stop Mm. being so exciting. Jane is pissed the fuck off at Gabriel. Like, why did you bring me here? Why didn't you do anything about this? This sucks. You suck. Everything sucks. Do you think that's fair? For her to get that level of upset. I think with the level that Gabriel is inserting himself into her life, that it makes Mm -hmm. sense for her to be upset. I don't know what fairness would have to do with it, but he's the whole reason she went to the council. that's true. What did you think? It felt justified, her level of upset and anger. I don't know. Like, part of me was thinking, well, you're not really telling him to bugger off either are you well yeah that's the other thing like she yells at him and then they make out in the car yeah it's it's really strange i don't understand like is this a force that she just cannot control or is this just a really awkward relationship to put it mildly 
Especially with the, are you trying to be my dad or are you trying to be my boyfriend? I think the author could have done more to create more chemistry between them. I think, again, this is just a question of chemistry. Yeah, the absence of chemistry just makes their interactions awkward and hostile. Yeah, and I mean, even when they're getting along, they they banter and stuff, but it kind of feels like friends. And I feel like as a reader, I can tell that he's feeling it, but we're in Jane's head and I can't tell that Jane is feeling it. So for me, that's a problem. Yeah, he commits really early. I don't think that's terribly uncommon in a romance. No, I think often the man commits first. The series as a whole, there's 18, but they're not all centered around this couple. I think only like four or six or something are. Oh, I see. So maybe that's one of the reasons is the intention to build the chemistry over time or build the relationship over time. But the chemistry really has to be there first. I would have appreciated some chemistry, even if it was still awkward and weird and hostile and all these things. Come on, there has to be something. If you're going to be yelling at this man and then making out with him. They could have emotional reasons for not connecting or not wanting to connect and fighting it. But there's got to be something to fight. And at least for her, there isn't. Or at least there doesn't feel like there is. He takes her home and they find her dad waiting on the porch with a pizza. And her dad has dropped by to check on her. Gabriel goes and fucks off for a while so that she can have some private talk with her dad. (laughs) Her actual dad. Sorry. Yeah, her her biological dad. <laughs> it, it's it's weird because like there can be that dynamic in a relationship and it's fine, but it doesn't feel like that's what this is. She doesn't want it to be for sure. She doesn't want someone to take care of her. He's very much like, but I have a glass slipper for you. And she's like, but I don't want to wear it, but I have it. Great. There's this one point where she's talking about how she's worried about money because she doesn't have a new job yet. And he's like, like, if you have money problems, I can fix that for you. She's all, no, <laughs> do not fix that for me. <laughs> yeah, that That is not your job, buddy. She's good about laying down that type of boundary with him. Anyways, she has a talk with her dad and she doesn't eat the pizza, which her dad finds suspicious. They talk about her mom. Her mom is scared for her, doesn't know how to handle these things. Gabriel comes back lugging some nasty cardboard box into the house. As one does. (laughs) She's just like, um, great. (laughs) After her dad leaves, she finds out, oh, that box contains everything that Walter owned. And since Walter is now dead and she (laughs) supposedly is the one who bested him, then she inherits all his stuff. That's what happens when one vampire kills another vampire in this world. Unfortunately, Walter didn't own anything cool. He just owned a bunch of shit. To be fair, that is most people. We think it's cool because it's our (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Well, he didn't even own like property. Like He lived in his mom's basement. And the reason that his stuff is all in a box is because the mom was happy to get her basement back. I forget. How long was he a vampire? Like, did he not understand how to invest money or something or anything? I think he was just a loser. I don't think he was a vampire very long because his mother was still alive. His mother wasn't a vampire, right? Oh, and we learn that Jane has a unicorn collection. (laughs) The only reason I bring it up is because I like this quote. She tells Gabriel to put the box in the mudroom and she'll take care of it later. And he opens the wrong door to the library that has her all her unicorns in it. And she's like, fine, you know my secret. I have a unicorn collection. And he says, that's a very sad secret. (laughs) 
<laughs> See, they have the fun, playful banter. There is opportunity yeah. there. They do more kissing and stuff. She kind of invites him to bed and he's like, no, I don't think you're ready yet. I think you're still thinking it's going to suck. And I don't want your attitude to color our experience because the only sexual experiences Jane has had to this point were really, really, really crappy. Again, that's kind of presumptuous of him. No, I will tell you when we have sex. Not you. Uh. <laughs> he's more than welcome to say no, but he should say no because he's not ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who is he to know whether or not she's ready he's our daddy <laughs> now she's kind of a pseudo celebrity in the vampire world because she supposedly killed walter even though she didn't she gets invited by missy to this cocktail party that's like a networking opportunity for vampires and missy kind of strong arms her into agreeing to go we also get some creepiness starting to happen. Like she's starting to feel like she's being watched. Zeb comes by for a visit. Zeb has started seeing somebody, but he doesn't want to tell her at first. It turns out that Jane can now sort of kind of read minds. Ooh. And so she can tell that he's lying to her. So he's like telling this whole story about visiting his grandma or whatever. Meanwhile, she's like watching a memory in his head of this girl <laughs> and him like making out or having sex or something. <laughs> she's just like, ah, no. And he's like, what? And she's like, stop lying to me. She apologizes for invading his privacy. But, you know, I can't help it. I'm sorry. But I'm glad you're going out with someone. And he tells her that he joined a group called Friends and Family of the Undead, which is like <laughs> a support group for people who know people who turned into vampires, <laughs> like an Al-Anon yeah. type of thing, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and he met this girl, Jolene, at the group. He invites her to go to one of the meetings, too. He says, maybe that'll help you feel better about telling your parents or something like that. And she agrees to go, mostly because she's worried. She loves Zeb platonically, and she knows that it's unlikely that whoever this woman is will be happy with Zeb having a female best friend. And so she kind of feels like maybe she's going to get phased out of his life soon. Yeah, she's having to deal with a lot of adjustments, you know, being undead, her good friend having a significant other. Oh, and then there's the whole telemarketing <laughs> thing. So she's been looking for a job, right? And she finds this photography studio that supposedly makes evening appointments and they're hiring a, quote, secretary. But when she goes for the interview, <laughs> it's like they don't care about her background or skills or anything. Oh, yeah, no, you're fine. Yep, you're hired. When can you start? You have a pulse. We find that very valuable in her employees. <laughs> She doesn't, though. Oh, that's true. <laughs> she doesn't have a pulse. <laughs> brain activity? Does she have brain activity? Brain waves? So she's supposed to show up for her first work day on Friday. And as she's heading back to her car to drive home, um, someone has written blood-sucking horror in blood across well, Big now. Bertha, which is what she calls her car. And she's just shamed, I guess. Because, again, she's not out to very many people she doesn't want to have to drive across town in a blood-painted car, but she does. She manages to take it to the car wash and get it all washed off and everything, but she feels really unsettled. That makes sense. She would. After that, she decides she's going to give Walter's stuff to Dick because she's like, he's the only person I can think of who might possibly want it. She drives to his trailer and knocks on the door and 
Missy answers it. Apparently she and Dick have a thing. And so they're in various states of undress and very playful and flirty with each other. But while Missy is climbing him like a tree, (laughs) he's still flirting with Jane. He doesn't give a shit at all. He is a total slut. (laughs) It's just like, oh, you have two legs and a warm hole. Ew. Yes. Fuck. (laughs) Seriously, though, like that's his persona. I don't know. The author does a good job. He's interesting. He's interesting instead of hateable for some reason. I didn't hate him, but like, I don't know. I couldn't fully like him. No. Not that I have to. There is this one part where they're talking and he's like, oh, you just want to be friends? Huh, I've never had a friend with boobs. That's interesting. But he's kind of okay with it. Like he's okay with being friends. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily know how to navigate it, but he's willing to try. He says, oh, does that mean I can't say inappropriate things to you anymore? And she's all, honestly, I don't think you could stop if you tried. So they kind of have like this friendship where they've like <laughs> agreed upon, okay, you can you can lightly sexually harass <laughs> me and I won't take it seriously. Otherwise, we're friends. It's like, okay, if you say so, Jane. She does end up going to one of the friends and family of the undead meetings, which is at a really trendy, healthy type place. And she meets Jolene, Zeb's girlfriend. Jolene is hot, but also kind of off looking like she just seems wild. And she's constantly eating. And at first I was like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, where's this gonna go? But no, we find out instantly that Jolene is a werewolf. That's why she looks wild, and that's why she eats all the time. Sometimes I I don't think authors should reveal everything so quickly, because I like the mystery. I would have liked that to be mysterious for longer, but instead it's she introduces herself to Jane, and then Zeb comes over and goes, Oh yeah, she's a werewolf. Isn't she wonderful? I feel a lot better about alternative lifestyles like vampirism and werewolfism. Werewolfianism? There you go. Lycanthropy. (laughs) Although in this universe, of course, werewolves are born, not cursed. It's positive, but also awkward, of course, because, oh, this is my best friend's new love interest, and they're a werewolf, which I didn't know was a thing until now. Social dynamics have changed. Or have they? They have. But on the plus side, Jolene is open to Zeb having a female BFF, so that's cool. Yeah. Like, maybe that won't be an issue. Fingers crossed. I mean, not that Jane and Gabriel are dating necessarily, but same with Gabriel. Like, he doesn't seem to mind that she has a male friend. Yeah, they're pretty accepting. I did appreciate that. I mean, there is a little bit of jealousy between Gabriel and Dick. I think that more has to do with their personal history because they knew each other in life. They were turned around the same time period. With them, it's more like almost territorial. And not always like in a fun or friendly way. It's the joking where it's too close to truthful or painful or something. He is jealous about Dick spending time with Jane. Oh, totally. I think that has a lot to do with the way Dick is too, because he's very sexual and flirty. And Jane is like, that's fine. You can flirt and make inappropriate comments at me. I'm cool with it. Whereas Zeb isn't like that at all. Yeah. Maybe a Gabriel's just reading the room, you know? Okay, this guy's being respectful and keeping his hands off, my woman. This guy isn't. I mean, is she really his woman? <laughs> no, but in his mind, yeah, she is. That's true. <laughs> that's what I meant. I didn't mean like that they were together, but 
Yeah, in his mind, they are. Well, if it's in his mind, then it must be true. He's already doing shit like calling her mine, you know, so. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to each his own. (laughs) That's his kink. (laughs) It's almost a pet peeve, the whole mind thing. It's because I hear that and all of a sudden my eyes are rolling. Oh, (laughs) that's funny. It's almost (laughs) as annoying as like on the little intros that they'll put where they don't even give the main character a name. It's just I this and I that. And I'm like... Who's I? And it's told in first person. (laughs) I don't know if you've read any of those. Oh, like on the book jacket type of thing, you mean? Yeah. That doesn't bother me so much. It kind of tells me, oh, this is a humorous story. Yeah, I can see that. Typically, that's what it is. It's like, oh, I'm in this crazy situation. However, did I find myself here? But you're right. That does happen a lot. The mind thing also happens a lot. I mean, that's a major, major staple in romance land, I think. Sometimes it's done in a way that it doesn't perturb. But most of the time, that is not the case. (laughs) And I realize I am probably unusual or... Well, again, it's totally different if there's chemistry. If you're in the moment and you're feeling it and he goes, Ah, you're mine. Say you're mine. Then yeah, that could be hot. But just... Yeah, she's mine now. That's not hot. Yeah, no. (laughs) It's just gross. Especially with everything else. You're mine. I'm your daddy. (laughs) It compounds into like this creepy or unsettling or maybe that's just me. No, no, it's not. Not this time. You're not alone this time. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Okay, so now Jane has her first day at work. But she finds out very quickly it's a telemarketing job and not a receptionist job. And she's supposed to call people and sell them photography packages. Her boss opens the door to like this giant warehouse that's just filled with smoke and sad middle-aged women calling people. She just can't. Like <laughs> She tries briefly and then just can't. And she's trying to make her excuses to the boss. And the boss is like, no, no, maybe you could work in this other division instead or sell this thing over here. And she suggests, oh, maybe you could sell like this special water, which is supposed to cure vampirism. And Jane is like, excuse you? (laughs) And so she ends up burying her fangs at this woman and like hissing at her and leaving. (laughs) She had a really bad day. And so she goes to see Gabriel and complain to him. And he is very sweet about it, but he cannot handle the level of smoke smell that has followed her to his house. And honestly, that scene was funny. Like, you know, like he tries to kiss her, but then he's like, how on earth did you inhale that much smoke? You don't even breathe. And she's like, I had to talk on a phone for four hours. And he's like, oh, she's cuddling and his head is just like slowly tilting further and further away from her. (laughs) i don't know time is like a weird thing in this story i don't know how much time has passed but at any rate she goes home later at some point (laughs) it's now halloween and apparently vampires don't really like halloween because they don't like being made fun of they don't like the inflatable vampires that people put on their lawns and such some vampires are full of hot air so she and gabriel have a couch date they're watching i think dracula and enjoying it 
This part was kind of cute. Gabriel's sitting up like all stiff on the couch. And she's like, you are violating the rules of the couch date. And he's like, I've never had a couch date. What is this couch date? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, oh, well, let me introduce you to the protocol. We sit next to each other. I get closer and closer. You take advantage of my proximity. It turns out to be a good couch date until it's interrupted by Zeb and Jolene who thought she was probably alone, but end up staying anyway when they find out she wasn't alone. (laughs) (laughs) We get a little bit of Zeb and Jolene's how you met story. And Zeb is kind of cute with her. He's like, who's my little bottomless pit? Because werewolves have to eat all the time because they have crazy metabolisms. Three months have now gone by since Jane has been turned into a vampire. She's starting to feel kind of like, okay, well, what do I do with my life or my unlife? And she's like, well, I have books I have to turn in and I need to get my boss's or my ex-boss's signature on this form so I can get my undead benefits. (laughs) Newly turned vampires get some sort of financial benefit if they can prove that they lost a job due to being dead for or missing for three days or whatever. You know, you don't call, don't show for three days, you get fired. (laughs) Welcome to America. (laughs) Let's see. So she heads over to the library, but she kind of nopes out before she enters the building she can't bear to face her ex-boss and her replacement and just uh no she's invested time and energy and love into this building and she just can't go in there and see it be bad she starts walking around kind of in the bad side of town and she notices this little tiny specialty bookstore of course she's like ooh, bookstore she'd never seen this bookstore before she goes in she starts looking through all the books and kind of subconsciously starts organizing them because they're all in complete disarray. This bookstore is not shoppable. And as she's organizing books like nonfiction, fiction, category, subject matter, the owner of the bookstore comes over. He's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm fixing it. (laughs) Yeah. She talks herself into getting a job. Yay. (laughs) She comes out as a vampire to the bookstore owner like immediately because he is really interested in books on that sort of subject matter. Obviously, she wants to work nights. Her job is organizing things and cleaning things and, of course, selling things. So we kind of feel like, okay, well, maybe her life is is going up in the right direction. When she gets home, she takes her dog for a nice long walk and they're having fun and everything and they race each other back to her house and her dog goes for the water bowl. But before he can make it, she can smell something off in the water and she realizes it's antifreeze and she... (laughs) Prevents her dog from drinking it, thankfully. Not only has she been feeling watched and her car has been defaced, but now someone has made an attempt on her dog's life. She still doesn't Mm. tell anyone. I can't remember why she doesn't tell anyone. I mean, this would be the perfect opportunity for Gabriel to go into protector man mode. (laughs) If only he knew. Missed opportunity. Guess he wasn't stalking her that thoroughly. For a stalkery vampire, he's been very unstalky, honestly. He's been giving her a lot of space. She has a lot of time to herself where she just kind of does her own thing. She has all these days to herself where she doesn't see him. Yeah, I'm not sure that was a good thing. Yeah, for the story, no. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird because I think... Sometimes it's good to have a sense that the female character in particular can have her own autonomy. But at the same time, you need to have enough couple time, couple interaction. Yep. Develop that chemistry. 
Oh, Zeb and Jolene get engaged. They're really happy about it. They want Jane to be Jolene's maid of honor. Jane is kind of salty about the whole thing. I think she's just worried about Zeb. You just met this girl and now you're engaged. This is crazy. Zeb's like, you're a vampire. That's also crazy. No, it isn't. One night at work, Ophelia shows up. She questions Jane about some rumors that have been circulating supposedly she and Walter were having an affair. She killed him out of anger or jealousy or something. Also, she's having an affair with Dick all over town. Ophelia Mm -hmm. can kind of tell, like she can tell that Jane has not been doing these things, but she's also pissed off that she has to deal with it. Yeah, probably. Can you stop ruining my day, Jane? (laughs) I'm very old. I have things to do. She says something like, I am glad that you have a job now. Maybe that will keep you occupied. (laughs) AKA not my problem. She also says that seems to her that Jane has an enemy and is trying to keep her alienated from other vampires, prevent her from finding community in vampiredom. And she can't really figure out who and maybe Jane needs to think about who might have it out for her. Another day, like the next day, I don't know, her mom drops by uninvited, says, oh, you need to come out to dinner with us and we need to talk. And Jane's like, us? Us who? Well, it turns out that her mom, her sister, and her grandma have planned to ambush her, get on her case about, oh, you haven't found a new job and maybe you need to move in with mom and dad or sell the house to sister or something. Yeah, that's the one they really want. Yeah, that one. <laughs> they still can't stand that Jane inherited this whole house and all the stuff from Aunt Jetty. <laughs> <sighs> So bitter. Jane accidentally let slip that she actually did get a job. And then that kind of freaks her mom out too. Nothing will make this woman happy. (laughs) (laughs) I have no control over your life. Oh God. You never did. And then she tries to tell them, oh, I can't go out because I have a cocktail party to go to. And then they force her to basically do like a dress up show so they can pick out her outfit. And then the second they leave... She goes and changes her clothes into something else (laughs) and then goes to the cocktail party, which is the one that Missy invited her to. Missy gloms onto her immediately and starts introducing her around the room. But every time her name gets mentioned to the vampires that she meets, they get all standoffish or snide with her because of her reputation. And Missy is acting like nothing's wrong. Jane is like, wow, I'm not gonna make any friends here. This was a bad choice. She heads out onto the back porch and finds Dick there drinking beer. They commiserate together. Dick is there because he's with Missy and Missy strong-armed him into going too. But he's not allowed to drink beer in the cocktail party area because that looks bad. He has to drink it on the porch. (laughs) And then she decides, okay, well, I'm going to go home. And as she gets up to her car, she's getting shot at. But no one seems to see or hear anything. She's actually shot. And these are vampires that don't hear. And glass on her car is breaking and she has bullet wounds. (laughs) So she drives home. As one does. Well, I mean, if the bullet isn't going to kill <laughs> Takes you. Takes a bath as her flesh knits itself back together and pushes the bullet debris out of her body. Scrubs and scrubs, but still can't feel clean. Gabriel shows up. 
He's like, are you home? Oh, thank goodness it's you. And she gives him a hug. And he's like, why do you smell like blood? Why do you smell like your blood? And she's like, someone shot me. (laughs) It's been another day. (laughs) He's like, who would shoot you? And she's like, I don't know. Yes, twice she's had really bad days and then gotten shot. (laughs) And she's starting to to think maybe it was Bud. Like maybe Bud shot her on purpose. And now he's trying to finish the job. And she tells him this suspicion of hers. And he's like, no, Bud died a tree fell on him (laughs) i mean it can happen yeah except this is great he says bud can't be the person who shot you and he's not the one who's been harassing you he's been dead for weeks and jane's like i didn't kill him and he goes no of course it wasn't you trees fall he had the bad luck of standing under it at the time (laughs) she says that doesn't strike you as convenient and he says No, it was a terrible inconvenience to push a very heavy tree on top of him. (laughs) And she's like, you killed him? He's all, well, yeah, he killed you first, technically. (laughs) Vampire logic. So she's really mad about this because this weird ass overprotectiveness of his is just, ugh. She starts beating up on him and he's into it. Like, he's all, yeah. (laughs) And then it turns into making out, and then they're crashing all around her living room. They break her coffee table. They have sex on top of broken glass. It's awesome, and they love it, except afterwards, she's still like, I still kind of don't like you, though. (laughs) That was great, but now you have to leave. I'm done with you now. He's like, no, you should come stay with me for a while. She's like, yeah, no. No, no, no. What do you think about the killing of the dude? It bothered me. Yeah, me too. He accidentally shot her. I mean, he purposefully shot a deer. He didn't purposefully shoot a human. Yeah, it would have been different if he had done it on purpose to her. I think intention matters. It seemed like Gabriel wasn't going to tell her about it unless he had to. But then when he did tell her about it, he was like, yeah, obviously I killed him. (laughs) Duh. What do you expect me to do? You're mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another thing. While they're fucking, after she comes and she's laying there all boneless, he's still getting his and he's going like, mine, mine, mine. It's like, okay, dude, chill the fuck out, please. Yes, that's where it's person, not possession. You know the difference, right? (laughs) Again, this is one of those things that could have been hot if it were written the right way. Instead, it's just awkward and weird. Yeah. Later, she gets a phone message from Dick who wants her to come over so he can tell her something important. She decides, okay, I better head over right now. It's getting close to sunrise. She drives over there. As she goes to knock on his door, his trailer explodes. And she gets like, whoops, back onto her car. She's like on fire. She wakes up, cuffed to a hospital bed. And Ophelia's there. She tells her, hey, yeah, you're basically under arrest. And there's a tribunal being called to discuss your case. Because first, you supposedly had a torrid affair with Walter and then burned him alive. And then you supposedly had a torrid affair with Dick and exploded his trailer with him inside it. And we don't know where he is. And we wouldn't be able to find him if he were dead anyways. Boy, isn't that great for you. And then later, she shows back up again and says, yeah, actually, you're being challenged to trial by battle by Missy because she's Dick's consort. Yay! Merry Christmas. Not really better. (laughs) And then she wakes up in the middle of a dream to find Dick sitting in the corner of her cell. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, so I had a fireproof bunker under my trailer and that's where I went and hid. I survived and so they called everything off because I'm not dead. 
<laughs> and I vouched for you. Because we're friends. Even though you have boobs or also because you have boobs? Yes. It's unclear. <laughs> boobs are involved. <laughs> yep. Uh, so he says he's going to give her a drive home. And he's like, yeah, Missy has it out for you. That's what I called you about. I found these papers in your briefcase. Missy has been buying up all the land around Jane's home and Jane's home is in the center of all this land and Missy wants that house so she can have the land. She has this whole idea she's going to build like a gated vampire community. She's a vampire of ambition. She's like, I don't want to call Gabriel and tell him about this. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to deal with this. I want to go home. She gets home. Her phone rings and it's Missy. And Missy's (laughs) like, yeah, so I kidnapped your parents and they're tied up now and you need to come see me. And Jane's like, well, fuck. There goes my nice quiet evening at home. She tells Dick and Dick agrees to come with her because they're friends. I start liking him around this point, you know? Okay, well, he's inappropriate, but he's actually a pretty decent friend to her. He could have just let her deal with the tribunal. He could have not vouched for her. He could have chosen not to back her up or share the stuff that he found in Missy's possession. True. So he's not a bad guy necessarily. All the way bad, I guess. They have the idea that, well, Dick will wait out front. Jane will go in and pretend that she's alone. And then Dick will keep his ear out in case he needs to come in and help. Jane goes in. Missy has her parents bound on her back porch. She's got this whole presentation set up. She's got platters of food out and stuff. (laughs) And she has this empty chair with manacles on it. And she has Jane manacle herself to the chair and then gives this presentation of her plans for the house. I want your house. That's what all this is about. And you need to give it to me or else. Jane's sister shows up. Missy has befriended the sister and been pumping her for all this information because she wants the house too. And Missy has told her, oh yeah, I can get her to give you the house through like some sort of tax issue or something like that. But when the sister shows up, she sees the parents tied up and she's like, um, what? The sister did not know that Missy was a vampire. The sister is very anti-vampire. Missy ties her up too, which Jane is secretly happy about, and then says, well, now I'm I'm going to duel you. When I defeat you, I'm going to get the house and then I'm going to kill everyone who's remotely related to you so that no one else has a claim on your property. And then I'm going to build my wonderful gated vampire sub-community. Seriously, Missy, you couldn't do that like anywhere else. I kind of feel like telling Jane (laughs) that I'm going to kill your entire family maybe wasn't the best call for Missy. Like of all the things. Yeah. (laughs) Let her think that you'll let them go. Now she doesn't have anything to lose. Before she did, she could have rescued her family. Now you're telling her she has no choice. Let's see, she ends up punching her or kicking her in the face or something. Her her chair like skids across the deck and lands across the yard. She's got a big old chunk of deck wood shoved through her shoulder area, I think. The crew has shown up, so Dick is there. He also called Gabriel and Gabriel called Zeb, hoping Jolene would come, but Zeb came. And they're all like, we're here to help you. And Missy's like, um, no. No, no, no. I officially have this duel scheduled. You can't do anything about it. And Dick distracts her while 
Gabriel lets Jane drink some of his powerful old blood so she can heal faster and have some more strength or whatever. If you drink older vampires' blood, you get some of their power or something. Um, That's why Missy's so strong. Yeah, she becomes big Mario. Yeah. (laughs) They duel. It's really violent and good. Gabriel has said that he's going to make sure that the codes are followed. So he's given Jane the best possible chance he can, I guess, without breaking vampire law. I don't know. Like at this point, I'm like, "Eh, really, really, dude, you were so cold. Yeah. I like that Jane had to fight her own battle and everything, but I didn't like the way it took place. I don't know. To have him watch, just ugh. They're fighting and it's going bad for Jane. And then Zeb yells, she tried to hurt Fitz. That's her dog. He says to Gabriel and Dick, that'll get her mad. And Gabriel's like, "Um, she's been framed for murder and they already hurt all these other people. Like, why would the dog matter more? But it does. And that's what gives (laughs) Jane like the extra oomph. (laughs) So she ends up winning the fight, killing Missy. Missy turns to dust. And now she technically inherited all of Missy's property, I guess. Which is a lot. It's like all the (laughs) land surrounding her house. How convenient. Now I can put in that moat. (laughs) She sends everyone home except for her family. And she unties her parents, but leaves her sister tied up. (laughs) It'll be good for her. She comes clean to them, tells them the whole story. Well, a sanitized version of it. And then her mom is like, have you tried not being a vampire? (laughs) And she's like, yes, for the first 26 years of my life. (laughs) And her father's like, but why did you lie? And he's Mm. got hurt feelings because of that. And she's like, I don't want you to look at me like I'm some kind of freak. I don't want you to not want me to be your daughter anymore. It was sad. But the dad does seem like he seems fine with it. He actually seems to think it's kind of cool. And he kind of likes that Gabriel has lived through history. He's like, oh, good. I can pump him for info for my next book. So he's kind of here for it. But the mom is not. Adjustment will be hard for her. (laughs) Yes. She's just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. What are people going to say? What kind of mother am I to let her daughter get turned into a vampire? The worst kind of mother. Sorry. (laughs) Dude. Then she unties her sister and she basically slaps her hand over her sister's face and she's all, don't you talk to me. Mm. (laughs) You've done enough. So they all leave. She's kind of, well, she and the sister have bad blood. And then the mom is kind of like, eh, like she's afraid of her. And the dad, you get the feeling like things will be all right, at least with the dad. Well, that's good. At least there's one parent that she'll have. Now she's got some stuff she has to deal with. Legal things, because her sister is now suing her for the house. Since she now knows Jane is not going to die ever. And there's no chance she's ever going to get this house otherwise. She technically has inherited Missy's stuff, but the council is kind of holding off on all that at the moment. She really needs this undead benefit. And so she finally goes to the library to get Mrs. Stubblefield to sign the certificate thing that she needed to sign. And when she gets to the library, she can see like things have just gone to shit since she's left. And she's kind of sad, but at the same time, she's like, yeah, serves them right. Firing me. Mrs. Stubblefield reluctantly offers her her job back. (laughs) She has pressure from the board to rehire Jane, but she doesn't want it to seem like she's doing Jane any favors. And Jane refuses. She's like, yeah, no, I'm fine where I'm at, actually. Thanks anyway. (laughs) 
she even says like before she goes in, like if she had been told she was going to be offered her job back, she would think she would say yes. But in the moment, she's just not. She's just not there for it anymore. Plus, I don't know how that would work. The library isn't open at night. She gets Stubblefield to sign the thingy. And as she leaves, she's just like, hell yeah, I'm setting my boundaries. My life is being better. My unlife. <laughs> yeah, things are looking pretty bright for her. Gabriel is waiting for her and he says that he's proud of her for getting her life together and figuring out where she's going to go and what she's doing and everything. She tells him, my dad likes you and he wants to get together and have a chat with you because he's a huge history nerd and you've lived through it. And my mom is bedridden and I may have been written out of my grandmother's will. Gabriel says, well, the council has cleared you in the sense that they ruled that Missy's death was justified. And so she gets Missy's stuff and they ruled that she was not involved in Walter's death. So now she doesn't have to deal with that kind of stuff anymore. So at least that's looking up in the right direction. That's kind of where it ends. They're in this space where, okay, well, the initial shit has hit the fan and we've dealt with that successfully. And now we can move on to hopefully a brighter future. The end. Woo woo. I mean, I didn't know this when we started reading the book and I don't think you did either because we try not to pick books that have cliffhangers, but this is a series and you can tell like it follows the same couple through multiple books. This isn't their whole story. Kind of more like a happy for now ending-ish, except they're not really even a couple. Yeah. This book is classified as a romance, but it's not really. I would say like maybe the series possibly could be. I haven't read the other books. If the story arc of the series, as far as that particular couple is concerned, I mean, that could very well be a romance. But this particular book, as it is on its own, I don't think falls in our definition. No. I was kind of wondering if you would feel that way, that it didn't fall under our definition. I feel like it was a complete story, but as far as the romance part of the story goes, it's really just the meet cute. Yeah. This is the very, very beginning of their relationship. To the point that I'm not even sure there is going to be one. There definitely doesn't feel like there's commitment. So not a romantic relationship. At one point, he does say he wants them to exclusively see each other. So he's he's committed. Well, he was committed initially because he followed her home. Yeah, because she smelled good. Yeah. <laughs> She's not committed. That's fine, but it just... It feels weird. Looking at it with a romance lens, it does. I would say like just a general story, I'm fine with it. Like a paranormal humorous fiction, I'm fine with it. But for it to feel like a complete romance, there needs to be commitment on both sides for sure. Especially since it is a series. I could see it not ending... The individual book ending without like a verbal commitment or agreement. But for that to be the thing, there's got to be like massive chemistry. There has to be this sense that they can't help but be in each other's lives, either because they can't quit each other or or they don't want to quit each other or something. I agree with you. I think sometimes the romance gets rushed. So especially if you're doing a series, I enjoy a slow burn. But if that's the case... <laughs> then these other things have to be solid. Yeah, it needs to be a slow burn, not a slow, tepid bath. Yeah. And I've read a lot of authors do like trilogies where it follows one couple. Hmm. The overarching story of the trilogy is them getting together. Yeah, sometimes that makes a lot more sense. That's a thing that happens a lot. I could see this being like the first 
in that sort of story arc for sure. But again, the chemistry is nearly non-existent, which is unfortunate because the rest of the book was really well written, I thought. I thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. I was dying in a good way. A lot. <laughs> like, I fully intend to keep reading. I was into it. I enjoyed reading the book. But from a romance point of view, it's just kind of meh. Completely laughing out loud. Like, I, <laughs> I had stated earlier with her and Zeb, let's see what else can kill you. Oh my god, that was great. Yeah, and all the characters were just so great and different. Very different personalities. I really appreciated that. I liked how the author turned some tropes of vampire fiction, werewolf fiction, on its side a little bit. Kind of poked yeah. fun at it a little bit. I thought that was great. I really appreciated that the main character was a librarian. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Overall, I thought it was a well-written book. Unless you turn on your romance lens and then it's like, eh. Yeah. How was the audiobook? The audiobook was was really great. I love Amanda Ronconi, who did the narration. She was a fantastic Jane. She was great. Oh, good. <laughs> Um, and I was I was worried that like because it leaned so heavily into the comedy yet didn't seem to capture the chemistry. I was wondering if that was a narration thing. But since you were having a chemistry conundrum too, I think it was it was something else. And as just a random bit of trivia, she was the female narrator in Tallulah's Temptation. Oh really? That's our very first episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, that voice, that is familiar. That's funny. <laughs> so, there you go. Oh, God, I need to go back and listen to that first episode of ours. I don't want to. <laughs> you do that. That was a trip. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I don't think I can. I'm not strong enough. <laughs> Are you happy for their happy? Do they even have a happy? Yeah, that, that was exactly what I wrote. I said, Are they happy? Is there happy? I'm confused. <laughs> I think that your non-response is completely fair in this particular case, because it's like, what happy? Where? What relationship? Who? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want that to be the case. I didn't feel like it was the narrator. I'm, I'm glad that that's... Yeah. Because I'm, I'm always wondering, like, is it me? Am I defective? <laughs> <laughs> this is just something I don't get. That's fine. <laughs> Let's rate them. Let's rate Jane. Well, for Jane, I put her as awesome. She was hysterical. It was great. There were times where she and I had the exact same responses. As I'm listening to it, I said something and then she says almost the exact same thing. I'm like, this feels a bit eerie, frankly. <laughs> I wondered about that. <laughs> There were points where I was reading where I felt like the author was channeling you. <laughs> yeah. Awkward. <laughs> Echo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? How did you rate Jane? You better say awesome. If, if we're saying that she's, <laughs> if we're doing this parallel thing, you better say she's awesome. <laughs> no, I rated Jane awesome. I thought she was hilarious. Very funny. I really like that she didn't take any shit and she just kind of takes things in stride she still had like growing pains yeah. like oh no i'm in this new situation now what do i do and she still struggled with returning to her old work and facing her boss and i liked that the author made the choice to have her do yeah. that at the end and kind of show jane's yeah. moved on she's found her footing and her new circumstances i really appreciated that 
I think the biggest thing with her, and again, I'm looking at this as like part of a mm-hmm. story, honestly, especially with the, the way it ended and everything. The things I want for Jane is I want her to become better at setting boundaries, especially with her yeah. mom and with Gabriel and <laughs> everybody. <laughs> Although I think she's well on her way. Do we know what she wants from Gabriel at the end of the story? We don't, right? She seemed okay with the whole exclusive conversation, but there is one point where Gabriel calls her his blood mate and that kind of weirds her out. And we don't know what that means. Because he's he's like, oh, hello, I have a ring for you. My name is Gabriel. Wife. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Mine. Yes. <laughs> like the seagulls. Like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Oh, mine. Yes. Mine. A whole bunch of vampire Gabriels just going, mine, mine, mine. That would be her nightmare. Or maybe she and I are just channeling each other. I'm going to admit this to oh, you. God. I don't know if I'll leave it in, but... I pictured the seagulls <laughs> during the sex scene where he's like chanting, mine, mine, mine. I'm just like going, <laughs> mine, mine. <Gosh. laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. Because, oh, chemistry is just so important. And you're right about the mine thing. Like it can, it can work in some scenes. Speaking of our hero, how did you rate him? How did you rate Gabriel? <laughs> I put him as awkward. And really, he's more awkward. <laughs> it's just buddy. He's super quick to commit. I think it's supposed to be endearing <laughs> or romantic. It's really weird when a person's already got the ring and they're on bended knee and you're just like, I'm sorry, what's your name? And that's what this <laughs> felt like a little bit. And oh, wow, you kill for her real quick. Yep. Okay. That just made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it made Jane feel uncomfortable too. Hello, doppelganger. <laughs> you and Jane are like peas in a pod. Dude. <laughs> Dude, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. I, I wanted to read the other books, but I was a little bit scared. I think I will eventually because it really was fun. I plan to. This one was hilarious. What about you? How did you rate? I guess we'll call him a hero. I rated him awkward as well, although I did see some potential for awesome, like in the future. I liked the little bits of insight that we did get into his character. His whole thing, like, I'm trying to evolve into a modern man here, Uh damn it. And the fact that he's so turned on by her brain. I don't think he gives a shit what she looks like. He's really into her personality, which I really, I appreciated that a lot. Yeah. There was the scent. He was into her scent, but I really got the feeling like he enjoyed talking to her. He enjoyed hearing what she had to say. And I like that he tells her that he's proud of her and things like that. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, I feel he was definitely pushy, but I think with chemistry, it would feel less bad or awkward. Honestly, one, if there were chemistry, he would Mm -hmm. be less awkward. Two, I think if we got more insight into his character, he would be less awkward. Because I feel like the pieces that we did get had potential awesome. As you were saying, just more of a reason for him to be as ready to like get on bended knee for her. Yeah. What's his motivation? Is this this out of fear? Is this out of something that he knows is coming and it's evil? There has to be a reason because this is almost like pathological. It's concerning. (laughs) It's because she's his. (laughs) Mine? Oh, how do you feel about the villains? They kind of all were on the spectrum of awkward for me. The mom, it was almost more like awkward, awesome, effective. 
But I think maybe it's just more that she's just toxic. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's really but, toxic. Yeah. So for my my villains list, I put... <laughs> I don't know in retrospect why I didn't put the guy that shot her. I guess he's a villain. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of just felt bad for him, honestly. He was like such a non-entity in the book until you find out that Gabriel killed him. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, buddy, like overreaction <laughs> seems like it is. So for villains, I put Gabriel, Missy, I just put mother (laughs) and sister. Yeah, they're just varying degrees of awkward. And I guess the reason Gabriel's on the villain list for me is the casual murdering. That could be a cultural thing. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly not the only weird vampire. He's not as antagonistic as some heroes and some romances. He's definitely more supportive than usually those heroes are. Yeah, I think this the casual murdering made me <laughs> uncomfortable. I have a similar list. I put Missy as the main villain yeah, she of is. the book. Yeah. And I thought she was pretty good. I rated her as awesome, honestly, because I liked that she was introduced early and kept prevalent throughout the story. And the reveal wasn't shocking necessarily, but it was kind of like a, huh, okay. But then it made sense. Yeah, it did make sense. Yeah, I liked that she had a whole motive. Yeah, I'm going to build my fabulous vampire paradise. I need your property to do it. I love that she was a villain with a plan. And it wasn't a, oh, I'm the former lover of your dude. Yeah, her plan was completely unrelated to, well, to Jane, really. She wanted the yeah, property. Yeah, to Jane, to Gabriel. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't about Jane. It was whoever was squatting on that property, and it just happened to be Jane. And then in addition to Missy, who I rated as awesome at being she a villain, was. there's also the mother, <laughs> who honestly, her role is more of a minor role. I could see her being more prominent in future books, possibly, especially now that we have like the introduced issue where the mom isn't cool with her being a vampire. But I feel like, honestly, she was awesome, too. I feel like she was well-written, believably terrible. Yeah. (laughs) She seemed like a real person. Yeah. And then the sister I rated as awkward, but with potential for awesome, because we didn't really get a good feel for the sister at all. And the same with the grandmother. And then, of course, I didn't put Gabriel on the list because I gave him a pass for being the hero. Oh, you're so nice. (laughs) I know. So you're regretful. I know I'm nice. Such <laughs> a challenge. How did you rate the book? I was laughing. I enjoyed it. I rated it a four. What about you? I kind of waffled a bit. Initially, I was like, oh, five, because I loved it. I read that thing and practically one sitting and it was hilarious and, mm. and funny. But then rating it as a romance, I would kind of rate it as a three. Like, it's just like, eh, didn't really do anything for me. And so... I compromised and I rated it as a four as well. Okay. Well, did you feel romance? No. <laughs> I don't know why I was so hopeful that you I would did say not. Yes. I don't know why that just boggles my mind. After all my talk about lack of chemistry, how on earth would you have any hope that I would say yes? I know. I was like, she's gonna say yes. It's just because I want you to feel romance. I think that's what it is. It's just like <laughs> maybe so she sweet. still will. <laughs> hope springs eternal (laughs) i guess i mean it's it's basically the two factors of lack of chemistry lack of couple time there's no reason to feel romanced because there's no romance in the book (laughs) only potential 
Potential romance. But perhaps in other books in the series. We don't know. What about you, Em? Did you feel romance? I want to say yes just to be a smart ass. <laughs> you just go fuck with me I and say yes. I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. No. Sadly. Or par for the course. I don't know. Yeah. Not as surprising for you. It can be perplexing because there's books where I definitely feel the chemistry of the characters and enjoy the story and all of that. But yet I do not feel romanced. So I don't say that I do because we don't like to be dishonest and we don't like to lie. I have been told. We like truth tellers here on this podcast. So as... And by we, I mean me. (laughs) As enigmatic as it seems to be i mean in some cases in this case maybe not so much but with other books i don't know maybe we need a new question for you like did i feel romance did you feel charmed or enjoyable well i do say that if i feel charmed or that i enjoyed it or was entertained that's true you do. And there have been instances where <laughs> I, I have felt romanced. Yeah, that's true. We need to more closely find <laughs> your thing. It's difficult, though, because like with trying to have like kind of a diversity and in, in subject matter within the genre and things like that, it's hard to pinpoint on someone's thing. You know what I read. I would rather read random things yeah, that I know. are entertaining than like have to keep gunning for that romance book. Honestly, especially since it's so elusive for me or on the more elusive side. True. Let's go with the greatest chance for success. (laughs) Well, at least you feel enjoyment. Yeah, I'm usually pretty entertained. You know, I like to study writing and I like hearing different voices and things like that. Different stories. It's not bad. I'm not not enjoying myself. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of of diversity of reading and such, what else have you been reading, Em? Well, I read two books, or listened to, because I did the audiobooks, two books by Betty White. One is If You Asked Me, and Here We Go Again. In them, she covers a variety of subjects. She does talk about comedic writing and the importance of timing. She, of course, talks about critters, because she's an animal lover. She talks about relationships. Her more successful and some less successful ones that she had. And the importance of a resilience mindset. I will say this, with the two books, there are deja vu sections. Okay. If you think you heard it before, (laughs) very well might have. But, you know, they're her words. And if she wants to recycle them in any capacity, she is entitled to do that. (laughs) Well, what have you been reading? Was it also a golden girl? No. It was a, guess what genre it was in. I'm taking a long time to decide whether or not I want to be a smart ass. (laughs) (laughs) It was a (laughs) sci-fi romance, Em. (laughs) Shocker. Gasp. I kind of went along with the funny funny theme, though. This book is called Grr. Amazing. By Zeta Star. It's the first in a series. The alien hero is named Gur, or at least that's what the heroine is able to pronounce okay. his name. <laughs> <laughs> the heroine is a human female. She got abducted by giant lizard aliens, and she's like captive on this prison spaceship along with Gur. They're a bit segregated, but still in the same vicinity. She had a bunch of other women with her, but they've been slowly leaving and she's kind of freaking out because now she's the only one left alone with Gur. 
And so she's trying to like befriend him. Well, at least I'm not all alone. I have this guy who seems nice, even though we don't speak the same language. And he's not a human. And they end up escaping and he helps her get off the spaceship, manages to pilot an escape pod to a nearby planet. And then it's basically like a survival story. Like they have to like make it on the survival planet to his rendezvous point where he can get picked up. And then hopefully she can either get taken back to Earth or stay if she wants to. Okay. And they fall in love. There is a really cute <laughs> thing this, this author does. She has several books out with the same sort of naming convention. Like the second book in the series is called Roar. Or no, the second book in the series is called Hiss. Okay. And the third book is called Roar. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> but each of the heroines gets like a little creature Aww. friend. She finds this little sentient <laughs> hamster looking capybara sized blue alien on the planet that they're on. And initially she thinks it's just like, oh, it's a cute little animal, like a pet. And it follows her around and she feeds it and stuff. But then it comes and finds her one day and it turns out like his family got captured Aww. in a hunter's net or something. So he got her to help rescue his family and then she does. And then later Aww. he rescues her so it was really cute. Like the little giant blue hamster guy helped her oh, out. That's adorable. <laughs> and she named him Nibbles. Oh, that is so cute. <laughs> I know. It was definitely fun. If you like an adventure sci-fi romance, it's very fast paced. All right. That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify, or come find us on Twitter at RomanceMeCast. Speaking of Twitter, were you romanced by Jane and Gabriel's story? No. Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Haven by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Bye! Bye! Hey dude, did you know that Betty White is a self-proclaimed Trekkie? No, but I love that. <laughs> I just thought you'd like that random one.